You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to um, do a sermon for us here. We're going to talk a little bit about um, Mary and barren women. And I would imagine not a lot of you have heard that for the Christmas sermon before. And then Kendall's going to come up and do our thoughts for communion afterwards. Really looking forward to that. And um, that will be the, remi- the remainder of our sermon here today, of our service here today. So I want to start off. Let's go ahead and look at Luke's version in Luke chapter 1 of Mary's story. And the title of the sermon here is From Barren to Beauty. From Barren to Beauty. So in Luke chapter 1, um, Gabriel has come down and filled Mary in on this incredible plan for Jesus. I'm going to pick it up in verse 32. He will be great and will be called Son of Most High. The Lord God will give him a throne, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Well, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Um, this l- little sentence that Gabriel gives us, you know, that's one of my favorite phrases in the Bible. With, po- with man, this is impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. Um, I thought it would be impossible. It seems like it would be impossible, even at the beginning of this year, that me and my family would end up back in Los Angeles this year. That seems impossible. But here we are. God is in this incredible business of doing the impossible. And we're all very rational and logical and scientific, thank you. But God's really not as interested in that as he is this impossible stuff. And I just think about what God has blessed us with and to be here at the end of the year with you is, is really a tremendous joy for me. Tanya and I, we just feel so blessed to have uh, come up here and be with Ken and Lena and to be with the Shumps, uh, to be with the Zentenos, um, to be with some of our old friends, uh, still, again, remember George being a young Christian and getting baptized, and I never thought he'd make it. Sorry, George. There you go. And to meet all these new friends. Uh, it's just been fantastic. What a blessing. It's just so great to come at the end of the year and see all the incredible things that God has done. So he's saying, you know, the angel, this is great. Um, Mary's got a good question. She, this is the scientific, rational side. This is a good way to start framing your issues. Well, how do, I, how do I do this thing? This all sounds remarkable, Gabriel. 
But how do we do this thing? There's a way that this usually goes. I'm not sure how this is going to happen. And, of course, Gabriel does this great thing. Nothing is impossible with God. With man, this is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. This is really important. You know, this isn't so much, well, this is an important phrase. This isn't the first time we see this phrase in the Bible. This is also what the angel says to Sarah in Genesis 18 when she's an old woman and she is barren. And the angel has come and said, you're going to have a child next year. I'm going to come back and visit next year, and you're going to have a child. And, and, and Sarah says, this is impossible. And this is the first time we hear that phrase. The angel says, no, 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 with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So there's this great tradition that I think starts right there in early Genesis. Well, I look around, I look around, and things look bleak. But God is always taking this bleak landscape, this hopelessness, this fear, this discouragement, this whatever it might be, and He's saying, no, 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 something incredible is going to happen. I know that blows you away, and with, this is what God does. With God, this is possible. So He's bringing us back, and here's Sarah, the barren woman, um, who has nothing. And of course, this is so important for us to remember. Because when you talk about a woman in Old Testament times, you're talking about her value. What is her value in her world there at that time? Her value really is in one simple thing, the ability to produce children. And if she couldn't produce children, then she was really not very important. She'd be almost something of an outcast. Job's friends would love the barren woman. They'd have a lot of sermons for her. And they might go something about maybe she's being punished. Maybe she's not being righteous enough. Maybe she's not good enough. We know God blesses good people. And He curses bad people. And this looks like sort of a curse in your life. And so probably you're being punished somehow. But the sense, the experience... I want you to get that sense, that experience of not being able to do something in the world and the world judging you as really not very important. And the world looking at you and saying, you don't really have that much value anymore. And the world looks at us and says, you're not as good as all these other people that we see on Instagram that look so good. You're not as valuable as you know these people that have big bank accounts and and great resumes, and these degrees, and all these other things that maybe you don't have. And so, so you're not as good. You're not as valuable. You don't produce as much as they do. Well, this sets up this great tradition of barren women in the Bible. And we see quite a few of them. Um, Gabriel takes us back to Genesis 18. We talk about changing life. My first point is simple, from barren to blessed. We talk about these women in the Old Testament, from barren to blessed. First point. And if you couldn't produce, you were very much devalued, not important. You know, it's like not getting straight A's. It's like not making the varsity. It's like not having a lot of money. It's like not having a good resume. It's like not having a good profile. It's all these things. You're not very valued. But think about what the Bible does then with these kinds of people, with the outcasts, with the people that can't produce. Well, Sarah was barren, and Rebecca was barren, 
and Rachel was barren. This is really difficult because she has to share a husband with her sister Leah. Awkward. And Leah starts to have children. And Rachel prays. Rachel says, God, if you don't give me a child, I'm going to die. That's desperation. And a lot of us feel something like it. If I can't do this thing that the other people are doing, that the other women are doing, that the other men are doing, then I'm going to die. We know that Hannah, of course, was barren. And she gives, ends up giving birth to the prophet Samuel. And we know that Samson's mother was barren. And we know, of course, that Jesus' aunt, Elizabeth, was barren. And she gives birth to John the Baptist. So the Bible is doing this thing for us. Obviously, if you're reading the Bible and you see barren woman, right? Just sort of open your eyes. If you write in your Bible, make a note. God's going to do something incredible. There's a barren woman. Now, we don't respond like that. That's exciting to read the Bible, but we don't respond like that in our own lives. I have no money in the bank. The bank is barren. That's not exciting. I have a bad grade in algebra. That's barrenness. Um, That's not exciting. We don't rejoice over things like that. Um, Teens, right? My mom's mad at me because my room is messy. That's a form of barrenness. And, you know, I don't have a lot of resources. How am I going to get out of How am I going to get out of How am I going to get out of this thing? We're always sort of faced with some barrenness in our life. And God is taking these women, these outcasts, these ones that the world has really no use or care for and says, no, 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 these are the ones I really want. I mean, I want everybody. It's God's will that all men, all people um, be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Amen. But I really want these. These are really special. This barrenness thing, this loneliness thing, this outcast thing, this, um, we talked about this a while ago, this liminal space person. I'm in between jobs. I'm in between relationships. I'm in between schools. I'm in between lives because I'm in my life and this, this, someone else is really living my life. <laughs> uh, that guy that looks so great uh, is somehow living my life. This liminal space thing. This is this place where we get to at the end of the year, and we don't feel that blessed. We'll tell that to people, in church especially, but we go home, we lay in bed at night, and we wonder, what has gone wrong in my life? Why is somebody else doing so much better than me? Why are these people, why are these men, why are these women so much more productive, so much more fruitful, so much wealthier, so much smarter, so much better looking? So much stronger, so much whatever it might be, always being reminded of our barrenness. Always being reminded of what, not what we are, but of what we're not. And the world's great at that. How often do you look in the mirror and or think about yourself and think about what you're not? And think about what you don't have? And think about what you lost? And think about what everybody else has and think about how good they look and think about how wonderful it would be to be in that life. Ah, that's why these women are there. These women are teaching us something really important. Mary, that Gabriel quotes Sarah to Mary, I think is really significant because she's just the opposite side of the same coin. She's sort of ultimate barrenness because she's a virgin. 
And so, again, we don't really value, well, not yet. There may be some potential there, but we don't really know because she's just a virgin. She's just a, she's just a kid. So, again, valuable? Not really. Special? No. Important in the world's eyes? Wow, no. Significant? No. Educated? Not educated. Um, winner of a beauty pageant? No. Scholarship to a good... No. Important in her village? Probably not. Maybe important in her family. Hopefully to her mom. Moms, we need you so much for this. You're great at giving us the big hug and telling us we're really special when the rest of the world has informed us that we're not. So she does this thing, though. She sings a song. Let's read this. This is uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 46. She sings this song. And Mary said... My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. And he's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to her fathers, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Wow, what a song. What a song. I I don't know that she just sang this off the cuff and made it up, sort of wrapped it, uh, freestyled it um, right there. For an uneducated girl, this is loaded, isn't it? This sounds like a scholar. This is an uneducated woman. What do we learn about her from her song? Well, quite a bit, actually. Almost every verse in that song is derived, comes from, reminds us of something that's going on in the Psalms. Mary really knew her Bible. So we look at my soul rejoices. That's right out of Psalm 146.1. Generations will be blessed. That's right out of Psalm 147, verse 6. She talks about the mighty one doing great deeds. It's almost exactly what the psalmist says in Psalm 126, verse 3. She says, His mercy extends right to all generations and to the humble. Again, almost a direct quote from Psalm 100, verse 5. And she goes on, again, about his arm and the mighty deeds that it does. Right out of Psalm 98, verse 1. And she talks about scattering the proud and how God scatters the proud and lifts up the humble. An original thought. No, a thought that comes right out of Psalm 10, verse 4. Why is this great? Because it shows us a woman who seemingly has no value finding herself scrambling to look good on Instagram. No. 
A woman that knows that her value is in truth and in spirituality and in God's Word. She finds her value in truth and in spirituality and in God's Word. And she's obviously got a lot of the Psalms here memorized. And when she is blessed, she just has, is reminded of Psalm 146 and Psalm 147 and Psalm 126 and Psalm 100 and Psalm 98 and Psalm 10. I can't do that. I can't do that. This is an uneducated woman. This is a woman with seemingly very little value or opportunity in the world. And she has deeply rooted herself in the Psalms. And so when this great break happens for her, God has done this amazing thing and chosen her to, to, to do this miracle. She breaks out in the song. Yeah, but mostly it's truth of Psalms song. That's a beautiful thing. I hope to imitate something like that. Hey, when something good happens to me, you know what I want to do? Um, text Tanya. That's not bad. Um, put my hands up in the air. Good for me. Um, call a friend and brag. I don't know. I don't know if I do. Um, make a joke. I don't know. What do we do when something good happens? Mary's great. Something good happens to Mary. And look what she does. This shows a woman with some incredible depth to her. Again, how would she look? How does her how would she look in social media? Uh, God only knows. Probably not very significant, probably not very important. But what's going on in her inner world? What's really going on in her mind? Oh, awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. And so we get a lot there from Mary's song. It lifts up the humble. 1079. Barren to blessed. Let's continue. Barren to blessed. What happens, teens, students, if you don't get straight A's? What happens? What happens? You don't get straight A's. Right? Maybe mom or dad gives you a lecture, speech. Maybe your friends brag and make you feel terrible about yourself. That's always enjoyable. Maybe you just look in the mirror or sort of innerly reflect and think, I'm not smart. I'm not smart. How many times have you thought, you know, I'm really not smart. Maybe I'm just not smart. I'm probably not smart. And then we go to Instagram and someone immediately has put a picture up of their grades and they got straight A's. Wow. What happens when you don't make the varsity football team, the varsity basketball team, the varsity cheerleading team? That's not a real thing. The varsity, or maybe it is, the varsity, whatever. What happens if you don't get the part in the play? What happens if you don't look like they do? And right, teens, campus people, and all of us to some degree, but more so there, so entrenched, so deeply entrenched in this landscape of image. And how do I compare to everybody else? What do I look like? Who cares? As long as I look something like them and am accepted and sort of look good. And what if I don't get the part? And what if I can't do all these things? Because the world is saying, you have to do all these things. And you have to be able to post it on Instagram and make it look really easy like you're not even trying. And you just smile. Look at me. I'm doing everything perfect. Sorry about your life. And this is a big deal. This is such a big deal. Because this, I think, is draconian. I think this is sucking the life out of our teenagers and out of our campus students. We have more depression and more anxiety in our young people today than we've ever had since we've been measuring it. Our depression rates 
for 18 to or 14 to 25 year olds, our anxiety rates for 14 to 25 year olds are higher than they've ever been. Higher than ever. And we have more psychologists and psychiatrists and social workers and therapists than we've ever had. Way more than we've ever had. Why are we so depressed? Why are we so anxious? Why are we so empty? Super important for us to figure out. Why are we experiencing so much barrenness? Why is barrenness... When we have more, literally have more than we've ever had, why is barrenness so much the experience of youth? Barrenness and disconnection. Barrenness and loneliness. That's so much our youth experience right now. And and then we study everybody on Instagram and Facebook that all looks so good. And we think, I'm just doing something wrong. I'm not doing it right. Somehow I'm not doing it right. You don't know. You don't you you didn't take the picture like they took the picture and posted it on Instagram, but that doesn't mean anything. And there's Mary. She doesn't know what's in front of her. She doesn't know if great tragedy is around the corner or great blessing or great what 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 prospects does she have for the future? I mean, sorry, again, it's a very patriarchal society. It's chauvinistic. It's not very good for women, and her hope would be to marry kind of as good a guy as she could get, and that would be life, and then, and then hopefully produce women, uh, hopefully produce children. That's, that's what she really had to look forward to. That's, that's not exciting. And yet, look what she's done. She has dove, and she's just immersed herself in the Psalms. And again, look at her language. It's just fantastic. Uh, what, what does she have to sing about? What is, what is there for her to sing about? This woman with nothing, my soul rejoices. Don't we want to sing this? Don't you want to sing that? Can you sing that? My soul rejoices? Can you sing this? My family and, and my children and my children's children are going to be singing this song. And, you know, this is the first generation they're saying that's probably not going to do better than their, the previous generation. I, don't, I have no idea how to measure that, and it's probably not even true. But there is this despondency, oh, gosh, we're not going to really grow up. We're not going to really do that as good as mom and dad. Don't think like that. Don't think like that. You have no idea what God's going to do with you. Probably you'll go way beyond mom and dad and grandpa and grandma. But, but you want to be able to sing this song. Hey, be my line and what's going on in my life matters. And it's going to affect my whole family for generations to come. Can we sing? Can we sing about the mighty one who's done great deeds? What's your song about God's great deeds in your life? I want you to leave today and sing that song. Sing this song as loud as you can about what God has done in your life. And here it is Christmas. You're going to get into the stress of presents and the whole nine yards. We do this all the time. But you've got to think about what's going on in your life right now and has He done something special? He has. He is. And He's going to. Boy, it just always reminds me. We come to, reminds me. We come to Christmas and I've told this story a little bit but worked as a teacher down at Verbum Day in Watts, right in the middle of Watts and I was a junior at UCLA and um, I should not have been doing this job. I don't know that it was technically legal, but that's another story. Um, but there I am teaching. 
And Christmas comes, and we get, Tanya and I, I get invited to come to one of my students' house for a Christmas dinner. I bring my girlfriend, Tanya, and we drive on down there, and we're in a super poor part of town. If you know that part of town, it's right behind Nickerson Gardens, huge, uh, yeah, we've got some laughing, huge, huge uh, housing um, development, just really poor area. And I think it's the 23rd or the 24th. It's almost Christmas. And this family, we go in, and there's, they have nothing. It's just poverty. And the mom has gotten out and, and bought a, a, a little leftover tree, kind of Charlie Brown tree. And she says, you know, do you, can you bring up the tree and decorate the tree? I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to. You know? And the dad comes over, and he was drunk. And the mom, she just put on this air of dignity and um, and the boy he was great, he's just sort of in there helping mom, there's cockroaches on the wall and I'm trying to put up this Christmas tree and this dad's talking to me and he's drunk and I'm thinking gosh, you know, I have it really good, this is this is life, this is life and how do you be hopeful when you live in this and I kept looking over to the kid and he's taking my biology class. And I just think, what's he going to do with his life? Is he just going to continue in this? Is this what his Christmases are going to look like in the future? And she made pork chops. She made these pork chops. And, uh, you know, I know she really went out of her way and, and tried to make this special meal for us. And it's just one of those moments that you have in life and you never forget. And you just go... Wow, God has really blessed me, and the world is a really messed up place. And most people live, Henry David Thoreau, right? Most men live their lives in quiet desperation. And that might mean you live in poverty. That might mean you're really wealthy. Mary goes on to say, hey, we don't care about the rich. Many of them go, go away scattered and empty as well. That's not necessarily the answer. The answer to poverty is not wealth. The answer to poverty, I'm not an expert in this, I should be careful, I don't want to sound like an amateur, right, is trying to pick up your life and change your life and make a significant change that helps you move forward. And that's hard to do when you live in a system and in a bleak landscape, a system of poverty and a landscape of poverty. Super hard to do. Anyway, sorry. But I just felt so blessed and I just thought, how did God bring me into this home at this time? God brought me into this home and this time, I'm sitting there with my girlfriend, Tanya. The next night, I asked her to be my wife. The next night, I proposed. And that might be the real miracle of the whole story. <laughs> she, said, she said, yes. I said, thank you a lot. Because <laughs> I don't know what I would have done if you said no. I don't have a plan B. There's no backup plan here. And I thought, God, God took an alcoholic family and a messed up thing and we weren't poor but we weren't going anywhere either and he changed my life and he did a lot of other cool things and all of a sudden he landed me I landed in this home with my girlfriend in in and having no idea what to say or even do and I didn't have I didn't have a lot to give and I didn't know very much and just reminds me of this kind of thing God does these great things in our life we just got to try and open these doors and get in and knock and say hello. I'm here and I really don't know anything and I don't know what to say, but I'm here. I showed up. And then wait for God to do something special. And he's merciful and he does mighty deeds. 
and he scatters the proud, and he lifts up the humble. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Mary. So, we get it. She takes, God takes, God's great at taking the barrenness inside of us, the barrenness in people, and this is the Christmas story, this is our God story, and makes something great out of it. Bless them. With man, with man, this is impossible. But with God, amen, church, all things are possible. Second point, blessed to belief. Blessed to belief. Blessed to belief. Um, Sorry, depressing story. A three-year-old boy out shopping with his grandma dies in road rage shooting in Arkansas. A three-year-old boy being taken on a shopping trip by his grandmother was killed in a road rage shooting on Saturday when a driver opened fire on the grandmother's car because he thought she wasn't moving fast enough at the stop sign. I, do, I don't know that I need to say anything else. There's a man, and he's behind a grandmother at a stop sign. And he got out of his car with a loaded gun and killed a three-year-old boy. How do you have Christmas after that? How do you pray after that? What is that? Evil, desperation, drunkenness. I don't know. We don't know about the person. We don't know anything. I know that's our world, though. That's our world. That's our neighbor. That's a guy we pass on the road every day. That's a grandmother we pass on the road every day. That's maybe a three-year-old that's in our kids' kingdom right now. Life's fragile. Fragile. The boy and his grandmother were at a stop sign in Little Rock. And the driver, apparently angry about the delay, stepped out of his car and he opened fire. And the boy was struck by gunfire at least once. The grandmother was not struck. She drove away and called the police. Police arrived at the shopping center and found the boy in the car dead. Investigators believe the boy and his grandmother were completely innocent. They have no relationship with the driver. He's being sought after. And it's a terrible story. What's it say? That's our world. That's where you live. That's your neighbor. That's where I live. That's who we drive on the streets with. That's who we see in our stores. Do we see these people? Do we recognize these people? Do we reach out to these people? Do we care about these people? Most of us, we don't care a lot because we're super selfish. It's just the brain. The brain's mostly preoccupied with all the other things that's going on in your life. So you run, you, run, you run across thousands of people every day, but you spend almost no time really thinking about them because your brain's so preoccupied with whatever else is sort of going on in your life. I'm hungry. I don't know if they're going to text me back. I wonder if what he thinks about whatever. I wonder why is she so mad at me. Is my mom... Is, I'm kind of tired. My shoes are kind of dirty, and I got an itch on my back. You know, the brain's just pre- always preoccupied. It's just always preoccupied. And these people live with us, and we don't see them, and that's a serious problem for us. And so, you know, these things happen. They affect our belief. Um, for time's sake, I won't go, nah, let me do it. Because I like it. Numbers chapter 13. 
I'll do it fast. Moses is leading the people. And have you ever felt this way before? This is too big a job. I'm doing something I can't do. So what happens to you? You get frustrated. You ever try to do math and you don't understand the equation? You get really frustrated. Or you're in foreign language and you've got to speak in class and you don't know the words. It's hard. Or you just, again, you've got a job and you don't know how to do the job. You're, you're in a situation and you're in over your head. So, um, where am I? There we go. Quail from the Lord. Uh, Numbers chapter 11, God gives Moses this great plan about quail. Verse 21. But Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. And so we're guessing from this passage that there could be roughly 2 million-ish people camping in the desert. Here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, I'll give them meat to eat for a whole month? Would they have enough, even if the flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough of all the fish in the sea were caught for them? This is a great conversation that Moses is having with God. (laughs) God, you don't get it. God, you're really out of touch. God, you don't understand. It's 600,000 men. If we caught all the fish in the ocean, we wouldn't be able to feed all these people. He's protesting. He's protesting. That's not a bad place to be with God. God loves us. God loves to take these things and sort of turn them on their head and do something really awesome. Uh, verse 23, the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's arm is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not I will, what I say will come true for you. You are in the middle of your life, and you are facing some things that are really hard, every single one of you. And we pray, and, or we have this God experience where, you know, the Geico commercial, the guy with the alligator arms, he's trying to reach for the bill, but he's got an alligator arm. So he never quite gets there, right? And, uh, yeah, God probably is a nice guy. He'd probably be happy if something nice happened in my life. But he's kind of got an alligator arm. Can't quite, can't quite reach down and save me. Can't quite reach down and re- can't quite reach down and touch my marriage. Can't quite reach down and touch my family. Can't quite reach down and touch my friends at school. Can't quite reach down and make my life really any different. Lives and more lives of quiet desperation. Because he's got this little arm. He's the big guy with a little arm. God's not Tyrannosaurus Rex. God's God, and he has a huge arm. Isaiah, Isaiah says the, the breadth of his hand stretch, stretches across the entire universe. <laughs> I just love trying to picture that. That's incredible because we all freak out and geek out over how big the universe is. Oh, yeah, it's big. The breadth of his hand stretches across the whole universe. That's your God. That's who we say thank you to, and that's who we pray to, and that's who does these things in our lives. But when we're in quiet desperation mode, uh, I think we pause the whole thing. And that's what Moses is right in the middle of. I can't do this thing you asked me to do. And many of us have experienced that this year, and some of us are experiencing that right now. And so what happens? We get into sin. How do we get into sin? Because we'd like to do something great, but we're discouraged. And now we feel some sort of inner alarm going on. Like, uh uh-oh, this thing I should be doing, I want to be doing, this this Christian life, this spiritual life, this miracle life, the conquer the impossible, boy, that sounds great, but I can't do any of that. I can't can't pass geometry. 
I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't get a promotion. I can't get a raise. I can't, I can't get, you know, my husband to do the dishes or some, be nice to me or whatever it might be, right? And so what happens? We get hard. We get discouraged. In Hebrews chapter 3, 12, it says he talks about having a sinful and what? Unbelieving heart. And we're on church and we're trying. And that's great. But a lot of us Christians, things don't go our way. And we get on an off-ramp that goes to sinful and unbelieving heart. And then later in chapter 12, he talks about um, 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 not being led away by sin's deceitfulness. What does it do? Uh, not being hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And so I, co- I commit sin, I commit sin, I commit sin. I'm in all kinds of trouble with purity or greed or selfishness or, or anger or gossip or cursing or drinking, or taking, whatever my thing is. And what I, I want to do good. I want to love God. I want Him to bless my life. I want to do the impossible. But when the heart gets hard, you can't love. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 24 about the end times. Yeah, yeah, the end times is going to be difficult. All this crazy stuff's going to happen. But the love, He says, the love of most, the love of most grows hard. And then what? You're, you're a zombie. You are central casting for Walking Dead. Sign up. And that's what we become. And we hate this experience. We're supposed to be experiencing spirituality and love and faith and awesomeness. And I'm mostly discouraged. And I don't feel good. So I'm going to stay on the computer and look at things that I shouldn't look at. And I'm going to go and drink. And I'm going to go and mess around. And I'm going to go and do this. And I'm going to go do that. Why? Because you're unhappy. And you're trying to distract yourself. But now you're in big trouble. Now you're in big trouble. Because you get that heart hard and you can't love. Stevie Wonder said it great. Love is in what? Love is in need of love today. Love is in need of love today. Why did Stevie say that? Because he saw this. He knew there's a lot of hardness in the world and a lot of hardness in our hearts. With man, this is impossible. There's no man that's going to fix your heart. There's no man that's going to make you good-hearted. There's no man that's going to make you um, more believing. There's no man that's going to um, give you better empathy skills with your wife. There's no man. There's no self-help book that's going to... T- uh, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. And what does Mary say in Luke chapter 1? I'm the Lord's servant. That's all we do. Make it simple. Make your life simple. I'm the Lord's servant. What do I do? I'm the Lord's servant. Do with me what you will. That's exciting. Your plan, I don't have much of a plan. I was just going to try and marry a good guy and hopefully have a couple kids. And she, okay, this sounds great. Be his servant. Let him do something awesome with your life. Uh, lastly, uh, point three, barren to beautiful. What happens here? We love this passage in Ecclesiastes 3. He, um, again, I, I'm not going to read it for time's sake. This one I'll skip over. I think we're more familiar with it. He makes everything beautiful. In its time. It'd be hard for Sarah to say while she was still barren and away from her family in Ur. I think that'd be hard for Rebecca to say. Same kind of thing, displaced and with no children. That was really hard for Rachel to say. I'm in this weird competition with my sister. I feel like I'm going to die. That was really hard for Hannah to say. I'm sure that was really hard for Samson's mom to say. I'm sure that's probably really hard for Elizabeth to say. But then it happens and we go, yeah, 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 yeah. That's God. Yeah, that's what he does. He takes this calamity, he takes this catastrophe, and he takes this barrenness, and he turns it upside down, and he makes it beautiful. He makes it beautiful. 
what, what is God going to make beautiful in your life? That's what I want to know. I'd love to get off the stage all next year and just listen to our Christians and just listen to our people talk about something that was ugly and barren in their life and how God made it beautiful. We should be the great, uh, NPR does that, the story core. We should be the Christian core, the Christian story core. Just telling these stories about how God has made incredibly ugly, hurtful, painful things in our lives beautiful and meaningful. This is so much the Christmas story. What is he going to make beautiful? Here's this family, and they're poor, and they don't have anything. And not only is he going to make their lives really great, they're going to have a great Christmas, but he's going to change the whole world, and he wants to make something beautiful out of it. Isaiah seven fourteen. you guys know this passage. It says, it's the passage, it's the virgin passage. Um, there's going to be a virgin, she's going to give birth to a son, and they're going to name him Emmanuel. And the name Emmanuel means God with us. Now, if you're here in Isaiah 7, and you hear the prophet say this, God with us? God with us? There's going to be a special child, and it means God with us? God with us. That probably means the only time God was really with us before is when we're all together in the garden. And so maybe this child's going to come and lead us back to the garden. Boy, I would love that. Wouldn't you love that? Just take me back to the garden. And I'd love my garden to be in Tahiti or Honolulu, Kauai, something like this. And I would, you know, have little pina colada-y things with umbrellas. And, and the, I love the snow, the shaved ice, and you eat the fish. It's just great. Yes, God's going to take us back to the garden. No. God looks down on heaven and he goes, that place is a sewer. It's a place where men get frustrated and they get out of their cars and they kill three-year-olds. No, there's no garden there. Careful, Christian. You're going to try and create a garden where you're in a sewer. And that's, not, and that's not going to work. You can't make a garden in a sewer. But Jesus says in his prayer later in Luke that, uh, and I'm going to wrap up with this, that his desire is what? His desire is that heaven comes to earth. May it be on earth. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. And what's in heaven? The lion and the lamb, they lay down together. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to the garden. No, that one's gone. But you can have some heaven on earth. You can have some heaven on earth. How? Well, you've got to work on a sinful, unbelieving heart, and you've got to work on the hardness of life around us, and we've got to get back to some real belief in our lives, and we've got to see God as a God with a big, long arm that does bless us, and we've got to see that he specializes in these stories of beauty. He's going to make me a garden. No! He's going to allow me, as a spiritual person, to create a little bit of heaven on earth. How? By loving my neighbor? By praying. By trying to be spiritual. By not living the way that everybody else in the world is living. That's what he's doing to us. That's our hope. That right now you can go home. Right now when we have fellowship, it's right here. It's right here. You've got to make some heaven on earth. You're not going to do that. No man's going to do that for you. With man, that's impossible. With God... All things are possible. He takes that barrenness 
He turns it upside down, and he makes it beautiful. That's the present that he wants to give us and give our world again this Christmas. And so remember the barren women, and remember what happens to us. Remember what he's trying to do. Do what? Make a garden for you. No. Help you experience some heaven on earth. That's our present. We're going to say, I'm going to say a prayer right now, and Kendall's going to come and give us a thought before we take our communion bread. Let's bow our heads. Father, so grateful for our time. Grateful for your word. Grateful for truth. Grateful for what Mary teaches us. Thank you that Gabriel reminds us of these barren women. And that, yeah, all these things, they're impossible. There's no man that can give this to us. This is the stuff of you. God, open up our hearts. Soften us. Open up our minds. Help us believe we can change. And God, take our lives and make them beautiful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.